Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that knows nothing about the ball flight laws, but does talk about the stuff that matters. I'm Rod Murray, and there is a mountain of State of the Game-related material to get through this week. It's our first opportunity to talk about the US Open at Olympic. Tim Fincham has found an umbrella sponsor for the tour, formerly known as the Nationwide Buy.com, Hogan and Nike Tours. A new event announced for the end of the year, which is going to apparently offer the biggest winner's check in the game. And of course, we're just weeks away from the third major of the year, the Open Championship at Royal Lytham and St. Anne. And lots of chatter this week about the possibility of that event perhaps one day heading back to Royal Port Rush after an extremely successful Irish Open staged there last week. Joining me to help navigate through and analyse all of this and more are two state-of-the-game stalwarts in Jeff Shackelford and John Huggan. Gents, a welcome as always. Thank you. Nice to be with you. Yeah, before we get started, a bit of feedback from an episode we did back in May. And Huggy, I think this one is directed... uh, predominantly at you, Donald McGregor wrote into us, I think we were talking about uh, Augusta National at the time and their, uh, their no women policy at RNA is in a similar boat, few other clubs. Uh, this is what Donald had to say. I'll get your response to this, Huggy. Hi, guys. Really enjoying these podcasts on important issues for our game, but don't you think it's a wee bit hypocritical of your contributors to bang on about the Augusta and RNA approach to 50% of the planet's population, but in almost the same sentence reveal that they still take up invites to play at all male venues. Here in Scotland, we are, of course, trying to move this agenda forward, so much so that a well-known Edinburgh golf club now allows ladies into the clubhouse on Sundays. This led to an unforeseen situation recently, whereby the ladies were watching the climax of a tense match play tie on the final green from the clubhouse balcony. Unfortunately, one of the players missed a short putt and let out a string of expletives. One of the ladies brought this matter to the attention of the committee, who dealt with the issue swiftly and efficiently. The ladies are, of course, no longer allowed on the balcony. That's very Scottish, isn't it, Huggy? That's the oldest joke in the world, I have to <laughs> I'm say. I'm sure it is. That, I'm, I'm sure that's apocryphal rather than true. I would think so. I don't believe a word of it, to be what, honest. What about the uh, criticism of you, though? That was absolutely true. I think it was pointed at you. I think during that discussion you mentioned how you played at Muirfield, which, of course, is another all-male club. Is it a fair criticism for the media to poke, uh, poke the RNA and Augusta National about this stuff but still take up invitations to play at the golf courses? Well, if I was to join the the honourable company of Edinburgh golfers, it would be a legitimate criticism, I think. But for me to play a social game of golf on a golf course that's open to both men and women um, as guests uh, Mm -hmm. does seem a a little bit harsh, uh, given that I'm playing with a a guy who isn't even a member of the club. He's one of the greenkeepers. So... um, but, you know, if you wanted to be truly, you know, absolutely strict about it, I suppose you could argue that I shouldn't go and play in, on any of these golf courses. But uh, I think Mr. McGregor has got me confused with someone who cares what he thinks, to be honest. <laughs> uh, OK, well, uh, Donald, take that on board. I did check with Donald that he'd be happy for us to read that out. And he was. I didn't check with him whether he'd be happy for you to poke fun at him, Huggy. So we'll see what the... Uh, <laughs> What his solicitors might have to say about that. On to matters more current and pertinent. Shaq, of course, we did just see the US Open a couple of weeks ago at the Olympic Club. Overall, thumbs up or thumbs down for the Olympic Club and the US Open we saw there? Uh, I'm somewhere in between. I I, uh, I thought Sunday, the uh, moving the tees up on the 16th hole uh, that, that ultimately really threw Jim Furyk off was kind of typical of what we've seen of Mike Davis the last few years at of trying to introduce that bit of spontaneity and, and having to think and scout out things. And, and Ferrick certainly could have scouted that out. The 16th tee is, uh, 
where it was was about 20 paces from the the 10th green uh, edge and so that was great that was fantastic um the problem is this was the third open i've been to at olympic and the usga's made the same exact mistake all three times which is uh and and i think sadly in the in the case of this year maybe the worst yet um it just was simply too narrow and um they just for and i and i understand it it's very wet there it's very cold and damp year round so when they go there it's it's hard to envision the golf course turning into a, a virtual links but it it becomes very firm and fast and and even though they made many attempts to keep it softer they were watering it at night it still played uh, incredibly narrow i mean when you have only 30% of the field or 33% of the field hitting a fairway like the fourth where they're not even hitting drivers and most and many were not even hitting uh, uh woods of any kind they were hitting an iron off the tee or a driving iron uh that's just that's just not right and there were several instances where that was the case and um, I wrote a piece in Golf World where Mike Mike defended the wits, but I I just think the way the tournament played out, you had that sense it was that one of those deals where we could have played another day and there might have been another winner. It just had that it, it had that feeling sort of like the last person to crash the least won, and that's not to take away from Webb Simpson, but uh, he played beautifully on the weekend. Uh, but it <clears throat> it leaves you feeling a little less satisfied about the actual uh, event, and and it's a shame because of course was in beautiful condition they did an amazing job turning it around it had not been very good apparently uh in the winter and and, and conditioning was not an issue it was it was a setup issue it looked uh, it did look fabulous on the tv it did have that feeling didn't it huggy with an hour and a half to go it was edge of your seat stuff but it all just kind of fell away over the last hour didn't it <laughs> yeah it was kind of a you know step back in time sadly and uh, i was i was a bit more disappointed than than jeff was i think um but the the point Jeff the biggest point Jeff makes which he, he made in his piece in Golf World was the the drop in the the number of fairways hit between 1998 and this year. I mean in 98 they were hitting far more drivers and hitting more fairways than they did this year with three woods and irons and the rest. And that tells its own story about the the width of the fairways and the level of the rough. And it ended up um, you know the the same old criticism that we've made many times at the U.S. Open. It was a kick it through the goalpost, you know, pure test of execution. There was no imagination. There was no flair. There was no shot making really getting done. I mean, it came down to as far as Graham McDowell was concerned at the last, the, because of the daft pin position they had on the 18th green, he missed the fairway by six inches and was in the semi rough, not even the deep rough. And that meant he couldn't get nearer than 30 feet from the hole. Mm. Six inches. I'm not sure that that's, really the kind of golf that I want to watch. Yeah, indeed. Shaq, a bit hard to um, to criticise or disagree with Mike Davis anymore after we saw his uh, his uh, pugilistic skills in the, <laughs> the post-tournament yes. presentation, wasn't it? You, you want to be a bit, <laughs> a bit careful of criticising Mike Davis from now on, don't you? Yeah, no, I uh, I saw that and I and I, I it made my writing my story on Sunday night a little bit tougher. I could I couldn't get that that grimace out of uh, my head that that look of uh, and I guess he I guess he threw the guy into the bunker. I was very disappointed the photographers didn't have a good shot of that, but apparently he actually gave him quite. It wasn't just a grab. There was a there was a toss involved there too. So. Um, now mm-hmm. we know. Don't don't mess with Mike. And you know, and when he's wearing that that new USGA jacket with the yellow uh, insignia, he really looked like a uh, 
a security agent of some kind. <laughs> he certainly looked like a security agent once he went the uh, the tackle and throw. But is he the point? I was I was actually going to ask you quite seriously, Shaq. Is he somewhat stymied? Is it, Mike Davis? He's been doing the course setup for a while, and as you say, he's he has introduced some innovations which have been terrific. The idea of moving tees and stuff. But is he still somewhat up against the old culture of the USGA and that he can't do exactly what he wants? Do you get the sense he would have liked to have had Olympic play wider? Is he just only step by step? getting these courses to the point where he'd like to see them? Because he's shown great imagination with some of the things he's done, isn't he? Oh, he has. And no, he has full leeway, I, I believe, to do what he wants. He had a very supportive championship committee uh, uh, chairman the last couple of years who uh, stood by him and, and, and offered and, and really comes from the same uh, school of thinking. So uh, I, I feel like he has full control over, over setup and what he wants to do. I just think that he, uh, I think he misjudged how firm and fast the Olympic gets. I also, I do think, and, and I know people, uh, uh, believe this and I, I was not of the school, but now I do that there was a little bit of reaction to last year. And because if you really, if you looked at the hall locations and John just mentioned the one on 18 on Sunday, and there were many that. And and they called that one on 18 a traditional one, and, and I don't know what, how it was traditional if you look at some of the old putts that were made on in previous mm. Sundays of, of, at Olympic, uh, including Jack Flex. But I, the the whole locations were extraordinarily difficult. They were they were very hard to access. So even if you had had kind of uh, accepted that the the fairways were too narrow, had the whole locations been a little more generous, I think we would have seen. Just a little more aggressiveness, but they were they were incredibly uh, difficult and and very much trying to put people on the defensive or trying to bring the short grass areas into play. And uh, to me, it was it was just the combination of it all was a, a little too much. And and then of course he's also hemmed in by um, the way the ball goes these days and trying to um, create a test and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe overreacted a little bit in that sense because, uh, Olympic is not a long course and in the open, it plays even shorter. And, and next year, Marion, I, I just, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see because already the wits, the, the people who've played there have said the fairway, if you think Olympics were narrow and, and a little bit awkward, wait till you see Marion. Well, Clayton sent us a couple of photos, didn't he, from his visit there early in the year. And it was, uh, it was quite frightening to see. It, it, Olympics should be a shot shaper's golf course, shouldn't it, Huggy? But, of course, the modern ball for the pros is is more difficult to shape. It's much easier to hit high and have it land soft and hit it straight than it is to 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 shape the ball. So does, does that play into it all? I know I'm not sure whether spectators really want to see on the Sunday Graham McDowell hitting two-iron, two-iron, um, you know, to lay up on a par five. It's not exactly scintillating golf, is it? It's what he did on the 16th hole. Well, that's the thing. That's what happens when you get the pause. I mean, you end up with them. Everybody plays every hole pretty much exactly the same way. And it becomes, you know, after a while, but pretty tedious. And But, you know, we, we've gone in and out and round about and up and down on this on Olympic. I mean, the bottom line maybe is that maybe Olympic just isn't that good a golf course. I mean, I've been there two or three times now and I've never been that impressed with it. I mean, it's you always seem to be going along the side of a hill in a direction that doesn't suit the, the camber of the slope. And it's just, you know, it's not a golf course. I would, I've never played it. I've walked around it umpteen times now. It's not one that I would, uh, even under pressure from Mr. McGregor, I probably wouldn't go and play there. So <laughs> what do you reckon? Um, Shaq? Is Olympic up to the job? I just, just don't think it's that good a golf course. Is the course up to the job, Shaq? Do you think? 
I, I think it's a great U.S. Open venue in the sense that you 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 if it's set up properly, you really do have to hit every kind of shot. I don't think it's it's an architectural masterpiece, but for the purpose of a, of, of a championship and and asking players to hit different shots, uh, I think it's fantastic. And and the aura and the and the feeling there is is very unique. You usually get some wind, oddly. set up uh difficult there was almost no wind and um um so you had guys missing fairways with with very benign conditions so um i i happen to like it in that in the sense that they can also get it very firm and um um but would i want to play it every day probably uh, uh no it, it, it would wear me out uh, it's it's very difficult Tough walking course, too, although the word is that uh, Mike Davis was very happy with the event and keen to get back there, Shaq. I think you reported that on your website. So, Huggy, yes. be prepared. You will be going to another U.S. Open Olympic, it looks like, well, at some point. I can't future. say I'm too upset about that. I mean, any time I get to go to San Francisco, I'm happy, but uh, the, the golf course itself, nah, not for me. Yeah, indeed. Uh, before we come to the next major of the year, let's just I just wanted to touch on this, particularly with you, Shaq. Of course, the... The Nationwide Tour, or formerly the Nationwide Tour, now the Web.com Tour. I think Tim Fincham might have it in for me personally, Shaq. I said on my show, the Talk and Golf Show, last Wednesday morning at about 8.30 that they must be panicking that they haven't found an umbrella sponsor for the uh, the Nationwide Tour. And I reckon at 1.30 that afternoon, he announced that the Web.com people had taken over the sponsorship, which made me look pretty silly within just a couple of hours. But they did finally announce... Uh, the web.com tour and of course everything changed almost overnight i was quite surprised by this it went from nationwide to web.com literally in the space of now but you were saying to me the nationwide contract actually ran out last year is that right correct and they were they were staying on i think as a as a courtesy uh, essentially to not uh, have the awkward uh, embarrassing situation of uh, trying to figure out what to call it in the meantime plus nationwide moved to a pga tour event and everybody would have just called it the Nationwide Tour anyway, because that's that was the last name. So um, that that was that was why there was that almost uh, flip of the switch to the new uh, sponsor. And, and it um, it's uh, you know it's a it's it's a web company. They did this before with Buy.com, who lasted um, didn't quite make it to three years out of a five year contract. And and uh, this company is, uh, is is probably stronger than that, but still, it's uh, it's it's it feels a little bit desperate, and and the the uh, attempt to, to merge the tour and the nationwide and the season-ending playoff feels desperate. Um, and they admitted at least that 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 was um, uh, this concept of the, the joining the two tours was designed to try and and uh, entice a sponsor and make it a better sponsorship, but. I just uh, have I have major issues with with uh, impacting the way you uh, produce players and 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 make them PGA Tour members. I think that a certain amount of integrity is 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 involved there and required. And trying to do some sort of algorithm and merging of points and money and uh, for the purposes of trying to attract an audience that you'll probably never attract to those three events, I think is really dangerous. And, uh, and they still haven't figured out how to, how to do it, which I think speaks to 
uh, how how strange the whole thing is. Well, that was the most interesting thing about the whole announcement, wasn't it, Jeff? Was that you know you expected that they would announce the two things they'd found a sponsor and they'd figured out how you would get from the nationwide <laughs> tour to the main tour, and they said we found a sponsor, and they said, but yeah, we haven't figured out how we're going to do that. This really is causing them a problem. It's a it's a sticky issue, and they haven't got that long to get it sorted out. They haven't, and uh, and I'm I'm also curious. I, they're really running out of time, but I'm also curious what the reaction's been in Australia. Just because I, I I'm still of the belief that this entire uh, calendar year schedule and and trying to wrap up the PGA Tour nationwide and then start it all over again, I, I still have a, a I feel that it's going to uh, have a negative impact on the PGA Tour's West Coast swing uh, and and the Australia swing of uh, of events in in December and. So I don't know. I'm curious what what uh, the feeling is down there. Well, we had uh, had Ben Everill on the show last week, who's the Australian Associated Press writer who covers the golf in the US for us here in Australia. And he said he'd spoken to some of the mid-level players. It won't have any impact on the players like Adam Scott and Jeff Ogilvie, Aaron Baddeley, those who are sort of guaranteed to keep their cards. But for guys like Greg Chalmers, who won both the Australian Open and the Australian PGA last year, the sort of the mid-level players, um, I think maybe Mark Leishman, well, not so now that he's had a win, but, um, you know, those mid-level players who really need to play as much as they can on the US Tour, they can't afford to come back to Australia. That's where the impact is going to be felt. They're going to be put in a position. Huggy, it doesn't happen often, does it? But you have to almost feel sorry for some of these guys in some ways, as Jeff says. Once it goes to a full-year schedule, they will almost be obliged to play the end of the year in the States. And that is not going to, even if they do come back and play in Australia, they're certainly not going to be at their best, are they? Well, this, this gets back to, you know, something I've, I've written about 15 times over the years is that the, the various tours, I mean, the, the complete lack of cooperation between, and this is not just directed at the PGA tour. I mean, the European tour are just as bad the, between everybody involved in world professional golf. I mean, they, they just, don't care about what's going on somewhere other than the area that they're responsible for. And you can argue, I suppose, that take Finchon, for example, he's employed to do what's... Just, just hang on a sec there for us, Huggy. He thinks it's hang best on. for the PGA Tour. And not Huggy, Huggy, just, just, just take a break for about five seconds. You're dropping in and out there. I think the connection's just uh, sorting itself okay. out, and then we'll, then we'll try again. So just... You're not looking at anything on your computer. I've told you about this, Huggy. You can't be looking at stuff. <laughs> no, no, there's nothing, there's nothing there. Okay, no, just, that sounds a bit going better. in and out. It was just going in and out, but I think that might be better. So, so come again. So you're saying that the tours just don't work for the good of the game, which probably doesn't come as a surprise to anybody, but it's not helpful, is it? No. No, I mean, I'd say I'm saying I'm not much as I'd like to in most of these things, but the same criticism I've leveled at the European Tour many times, at George O'Grady in particular, that... Uh, even if, you know, once a year they, they decided that we're going to, they would take a, a big decision on whatever area they're involved in and do what was best for the game of golf rather than what was best for their own bottom line. I think over 10 years, if they made, they'd have 10 decisions made for that, you know, one specific reason and we'd be in a better state than we are today. But they'd never, ever do. And the European Tour, as I say, are just as bad as the PGA Tour. The, the, the self-interest that, that goes on is long-term, I would argue, enormously harmful for the game. And you use the perfect example is, is you guys in Australia. Uh, this situation is going to do nothing but harm for your uh, what's left of your tour. And, and the prospects of you building up a tour in the future are going to be virtually nil if you can't even guarantee you know, a halfway decent field. 
Mm. And just every now and again, Fincham, O'Grady and all the rest of them, if they would just do one thing per year with the motivation that this is what is best for the game of golf rather than, you know, their bank balance, we'd be in such a better place 10 years from now. Mm. I tend to but aren't they, aren't they getting a little taste of their own medicine? And I, I know Rod was probably going to bring this up, but the event in uh, Turkey that's just been revealed um, – is in this a case where where maybe um, we we don't know the details yet, but it sounds like that maybe they're actually gonna well, uh, feel a little pain um, with this with this event uh, potentially competing against Fries and uh, the Portuguese Masters. Well, it's it, that's it's a pinprick. You're right. I mean, they're going they're going to be annoyed, irritated slightly by the fact that the fields for those two events that you mentioned probably won't be as good as they could have been, but. It's a pinprick in, in the broad scheme of things. I mean, until somebody comes along, whether it's Chubby or IMG or all the rest of these, the agents get together and do something, come up with their own mini circuit, if you like, it's not going to affect the, the big tours in any really impactful way, I don't think. I mean, one week a year and the tournament doesn't even finish on the weekend. I mean, they're going to get the television to themselves Saturday, Sunday as normal. This isn't, you know... This isn't that big a deal. It, it, it's got the potential, as you probably might in pointing out, that if it was to become 10 tournaments along similar lines, then they, they might set up and take some interest. But but one tournament in Turkey in October, is that really going to make that much difference? Probably not. Mm. They uh, If those managers decide to go down that path, uh, Huggy, they might want to chat to Greg Norman first about uh, how that idea will go down. <laughs> Well, that's right. I mean, I I, I don't know whether I've told this story or not, before or not on, on here, but I, I bumped into a prominent European tour agent, shall we say, in the Newark airport on the way to the Players' Championship in May this year. And he was telling me that the the four biggest agents, most powerful bodies on the, on, the, on the European tour in terms of the number of the players they have, sat down with the European tour officials in January this year in the Middle East. And one of the agents said to George O'Grady, you know, what's your five-year plan for the European Tour? And George O'Grady looked at him blankly. There is no five-year plan. The, the main aim of the, the European Tour officials is to fill up the schedule for the next year, and if they do that, they're happy. Now, long-term, you know, I don't know that much about running a business, but it doesn't seem like uh, long-term that's the way this should be going. It's rather, uh, you know, kind of fly-by-night stuff. It's such a sticky business, isn't it, Shaq? You're dealing with independent contractors who have people waving all sorts of money. And the event in Turkey that you're talking about are talking about next year, the event having the biggest winner's purse in golf. They've looks like they've got Tiger Woods on board, Lee Westwood, Luke Donald, Rory McIlroy. You can see from what a tournament promoter wants is, you know, those 10 or 15 guys who put bums on seats on their golf course playing against each other. There's already been, in China last year, we saw... Uh, a company just decided they wanted to have an event like this for their own prestige, and they just they just dished out millions of dollars to get players there and play. I think Rory ended up winning. It was might have been two million dollars was the uh, was the first prize. This is the danger that the tours face, isn't it? That, that, that these these people from outside the game who've just got pocketfuls of money can decide to put something on, and there's nothing the tours can do to stop the players from from taking part. Well, they do have some uh, rights in, in terms of approving those uh, appearances. Uh, they have to get uh, waivers and such. But, uh, I mean, this one to me is really stunning in Turkey in that it's it's just being uh, finalized right now in, uh, in July. It's going to be in October. Uh, they have an incredible roster of, of names. 
And it's just kind of come out of nowhere. And maybe the commissioner, uh, Fincham and, and, and George O'Grady have known about it for a while, but, um, yeah, Tiger was probably going to play the fries.com open cause he was thought to want to have a sponsorship deal there. Well, that's probably not going to happen now. And if this event is played the same date, the next few years, well then all of a sudden that complicates this wonderful new uh, calendar year schedule we were just talking about uh, because Tiger likely will be playing over in Turkey when the uh, tour is uh, finishing the president's cup and then turning around and starting the new schedule. And um, so they, they have some rights and some power, but um, this is going to be an interesting test case to see how far some of these uh, players and agents can can uh, can take this kind of an event, and uh, the only thing that that really is working in the tour's advantage is the the world economy. There there aren't going to be that many of these uh, places that can afford to put something like this on. Yeah, indeed. Well, China obviously one. There was talk, Shaq, that um, Turkish Airlines might be uh, might end up becoming a, a bag sponsor of Tigers. Wood. is there any sense in an airline sponsoring a guy who gets around by private jet? How does that work for them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure they'll spin it somehow. Uh, maybe he'll just repaint his his plane. Uh, uh, kind of, I didn't, didn't John Travolta do that with his Qantas deal or something? I think he did, um, yeah, yeah. But so. uh, I, I I don't know if it's a bag deal, but it's certainly a uh, partnership deal for three years. That that was confirmed today. And this is all about supposedly trying to. Well, Turkey expects that uh, obviously that the golf will stay in the Olympics after 2016. They have their hand up to host the Olympics for 2020, and obviously thinking that this might be a part of helping to uh, to sway the Olympic Committee uh, for them to get the bid. Well, that certainly seems to be the back chatter about it. So yeah. in- intriguing how these things come about. Nothing to do with golf, but everything to do with golf all at the same time. Gents, let's talk about some happier things and some of the things coming up uh, in uh, in the next couple of weeks. Of course, Huggy, you are in the epicentre of where the gol- world's golf attention will be focused over the next couple of weeks. French Open this week on the European Tour, but then Scottish Open and the Open Championship. Your excitement must be at Fever Pitch. Will you be going to the Scottish Open this year? I think it's back at uh, Castle Stewart, I think, for the second time. Got rave reviews last year, but unfortunately it was very wet and soft. Didn't play they, the way they wanted it to play. Will you be going to that? And I'm sure you're going to be at Litham and St Anne's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will be in attendance at uh, both events. Uh, they couldn't, couldn't possibly have them without me, let's face it. Oh. <laughs> the doyen. <laughs> Indeed. Thoughts about Castle Stewart, Huggy? The, the talk last year was it would have been fantastic if it hadn't been so wet and soft. Was that your take on it? Yes, it was. It was. I mean, it was like Armageddon on the Saturday at the Castle Stewart last year, unfortunately. I mean, they got, I think it was some extraordinary figure of you know, like three months rain in one day. I mean, average rainfall. So the course is built to be played hard and fast. It has to be that way to, to present any kind of challenge to to top level professionals and um when it became as soft as it as it became it was like firing darts so the the hence the low scoring um the trouble is the, the i don't have much higher hopes for this year given the weather that we've been having in this country over the what passes for a summer it's been seems like it's been raining every day for the last two months so i can't imagine that either castle Stewart nor um royal lytham unfortunately will play anything like a proper links shoot when you know, hard firm and fast it's going to they're going to be soft and green and lush by the looks of it mm, well that will uh will will sort of encourage a certain style of golf i guess huggy on the on the open itself royal litham and st anne's where does it stand for you in the rotor of open courses it's somewhat different to most i mean it's very heavily bunkered 200 and something uh bunkers around the place and some really penal 
ones amongst them. Where does it stand in the in the, the Open Championship rotor for you? Um, well, I can't, I've always I've played Leatham uh, um, more often than any other Open course apart from Muirfield with my friend the greenkeeper. Um, but uh, and as the old cliche about Leatham is, as you say, is staying out of the bunkers, and it's a cliche because it happens to be true. As one of the great things about Lytham is the, the the bunkering is really good, and if they've left the fairway widths alone, one of the great things about Lytham is watching balls pitch, you know, maybe 30, 40 yards away from bunkers and feeding inexorably and slowly <laughs> into the sand, and you know four or five seconds before <laughs> the ball actually goes into the bunker that that's where it's going to finish up. That's another downside of the, the soft weather. That They might lose some of that aspect of the course as well, but... Uh, it is a, it's an odd one in that um, it's two miles from the sea for a start, which is not doesn't play like a proper length. It's surrounded by houses and a railway line, and there's a school over the road from the 12th green and all sorts of things. But um, So it doesn't feel like a, a lynx as much as some in that you can't see it. But you can sense it's there. You can certainly hear it in the distance, and the winds have the same effect at Lytham. But, um, and you look at the, the winners they've had there, it, it routinely identifies if not the best player in the world at the time, one who's very, very close to it. Mm. So I'm hoping that we're going to get away from this. Um, I'm a complete snob when it comes to majors and to people <laughs> who win majors. I hope we're going to get away from this 15 different guys in a row business that we've got going at the moment and that a genuine star player wins in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, well, there's a few of those running around at the moment, isn't there, Shaq? I think you'll be going over to uh, to Lytham for the Open. Is that the case? And you must be excited about that. Have you been there before? And what's your take on Lytham, be it either having been there before or from afar? Unusual when it starts with a par three. Uh, it does. Yeah. The, the only uh, yet, I, I will be going. Uh, I'll also be uh, at the Scottish Open on the weekend. Uh, I'm going to get to see, before that, Donald Trump's new course. And we'll be writing about that for uh, Golf World Excellent. and a little bit on my website. So, mm-hmm. um, looking forward to that. Uh, I I wrote a piece before the U.S. Open about how we're not going to see driver used much at um, Olympic, uh, Lytham, and Marion next year. So, obviously, I'll be curious. It, that that turned out to be the case at Olympic. I'll be curious if that's the case at Lytham. Um, maybe the softer weather will uh, will make it play longer. Obviously, not what we want. But uh, I, I am curious to see it just because the, the RNA seems to really love it. And the last time they played there, uh, driver was, was really not uh, very important. And they've narrowed it. And um, so I don't really know how. And then guys are hitting it a lot longer than they were in, in uh, 2001, was it? And uh, so that to me is going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I, those kinds of events, unfortunately, generally uh, – lead to sort of a strange winner. And I, I anticipate that being the case again and the uh, streak uh, continuing, but uh, maybe not. Maybe we'll have a, an exciting finish. Um, and I'm just anxious to see the course. It's one of those. I, I, uh, I think it looks, it looks uh, quite interesting from, from uh, television, but I, I hope it's not uh, uh, too cramped and, and another case where the modern game is sort of uh, past the great lengths by. It'll be interesting to see 11 years since the last one there. Huggy Shaq says that driver probably won't be used so much this time. Of course, Woozy took two drivers out on the Sunday <laughs> last time we were here. Huggy? Yeah, he that, thought it was important. Know, that always annoys me, that kind of thing. I mean, the golf, and I've, Jeff's heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again. That golf wants it both ways when it comes to the rules. I mean, we it holds itself up as this great, you know, 
bastion of honesty and you know we're all great you know we can be trusted and this and that and the other and then you get a situation where Ian Woosnam has an extra club in his bag now does anybody in the world imagine that Ian Woosnam (laughs) is going to use that golf club no but but we still penalise him two Mm. shots we basically say sorry Ian we don't oh Used it, you might have you know sit in at the fifteenth instead of you've been using it all the way around. So we're going to penalise you two shots. I mean, it's just I don't know. It's a double standard. It, it really is. We lost you mid rant there, Huggy, which was a real shame. But we did get most of it on tape, so <laughs> so that's true. Of course, the thing about it, Huggy, Litham starting with a par three is what led to the whole drama. Wasn't it? Otherwise, Wisdom would have found that driver in the bag. Yeah, uh, hitting off the exactly first right. Team. If he'd, if it had been a par four, he would have discovered it before he hit a shot and it would have been a, uh, it wouldn't have been a problem no, we should. I, I would argue that it should be a problem anyway yeah we, we shouldn't laugh because that really was a tragedy he had a genuine chance to win that uh, that was he which would have been one of the great victories uh, in an open and yeah of course just totally deflated standing on the second tee to be told that he was already two shots worse off than uh, than he thought he was david juval won it uh, last time Huggy, you, you sort of suggested there that it's uh, lithams tended to to throw up good players of course we don't talk so much about players on this show but given that the the golfer formerly known as Tiger Woods did have his third win in seven starts just a couple of days ago, uh, how would you rate his chances around them? Did a great job of avoiding the bunkers at St Andrews a few years back when he said that was his game plan and, of course, walked away with the event. How are we rating Tiger Woods and your take on his win at the weekend? Well, I think he's probably got more of a chance of winning um, one of the, the... I hate to call it the British Open, but let's call it that for the sake of distinguishing it from the others. Um, simply because the, the biggest difference I see in Tiger between the, the Tiger of old and the Tiger now is that he doesn't putt nearly as well. And the greens, I would imagine, will be a bit slower at Lytham, so the, the putting will be will be less emphasis on the putting, and he, he, should, uh, he should thrive, uh, more likely to thrive in that environment, I would have thought. And plus... Uh, he, in 1996, people forget that he won the the amateur medal there with, a, and he had a 66 in the second round. So he clearly knows how to play the golf course. Uh, but the the guy I would um, advise everyone to keep an eye on is uh, Ernie Els, who was who popped up at Olympic, played reasonably well, actually the chance to win over the last nine holes, and has been in the top three of the last two Opens at Lytham and probably should have won both of them. Yeah, that's right. So um, he might be someone that would be a good each-way bet. It would be uh, be good to see, Shaq. What was your take? You were at Olympic. You, know, you saw the, the tale of two Tiger Woodses, and, of course, you've written about it on your blog, the great argument whether he's back or not. I think we're all over the argument. I don't think we'll ever be able to definitively say, where do you, where do you, where do you place Tiger at the moment? It's kind of hard to say, isn't it? He's great for two days, terrible for two days. Then he wins a tournament after making a, a six, an unforgivable six on a par five that somehow he got away with. Yeah, yeah, really is strange because he, I, I followed him the first two days at Olympic and I thought his game looked great. I thought he was going to um, stay in contention right to the end or, or win. And um, and I just don't know what happened on the weekend. It was uh, it was it was peculiar. And he he um, the round on Saturday was one of those rounds where I think in the past he probably manages to make two or three key putts and he and he turns uh, uh, turns it into a uh, you know his, his a decent uh, round for for his high round of the week and and instead it, it was the round that took him out of the tournament and so that's really the difference. Huggy's right. It's it's probably just down to putting. I think his ball striking 
uh, looks great. And, you know, he's really not going to have to hit driver much at Lytham. Uh, he's going to be able to hit a stinger, which was so fun to watch in Olympic because he hits it so low and you just don't see anybody hit a shot that low, uh, really anymore. So I think if there's a little bit of wind, that's great for him. Slower greens, probably good. Although you never know, he can be very neurotic about, uh, greens. He doesn't like Poa anymore. And that was why I thought he would win an Olympic because they were bent greens and, but they were quick. So you, you just don't know right now with him, but, but all in all, I think, uh, it's it's a great opportunity for him to win. Mm. It's it. Seems to be the difference. His bad golf is so much worse than it ever used to be before. And any top-level player will tell you that the real difference between players is how bad your bad golf is. And his bad golf is much worse than it ever used to be. He used to turn 78s into 74s, and now he uh, he doesn't seem to. Enough about all of that. I did want to touch on this before we finish up today. Of course, we just saw the Irish Open played at Royal Portrush. Very successful event. There's been talk about Portrush coming back onto the open rotor ever since 1951 when it hosted the Open. Huggy, I don't think you hold out great hopes for it. There's a lot of excitement in Northern Ireland, isn't there? Because this Irish Open was a sellout, most successful European tour event, pardon me, in history, I think. 30,000 people a day they managed to get through the place. The criticism about Port Rush is couldn't handle the infrastructure required for an Open Championship. Lots of people excited that it might be back on the radar. I don't think you're among them, Huggy. Will we see the Open at Royal Port Rush again? Well, I don't mean to imply that I wouldn't like to see it. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Royal Port Rush. I think it's one of the best golf courses I've ever seen. But, it, you know, unfortunately these days, there's, as we all know, there's far more to it than just the quality of the golf course. And you're right, the last week was an enormously successful European Tour event. But that doesn't mean to say that it would trans, it would transfer into being a, a great venue for the Open, apart from, the, as you say, the quality of the golf course. I mean, the, in terms of the, the numbers, the crowds were huge for a European Tour event, but those numbers, those same numbers, would be the equivalent of a, an Open Championship in the ninth, somewhere in the mid-1970s and would represent uh, a huge financial loss on gate market. Of it, which the biggest reason why I don't think it ever will happen is the, the, the importance of the hospitality income to the RNA at every Open Championship. That would plummet if they went to Northern Ireland, uh, especially at the moment. I mean, if you think that uh, the economy is in a bad way, whenever you know, the three of us are living, it's in it's a lot worse in Ireland. I mean, it's in, they're in dire straits over there. And the combination of those two things would see the RNA losing a, you know, a hell of a lot of money on the, the one thing that funds everything that they do. They're not, and they're not quite in the same position that the USGA are in, where, as Jeff pointed out earlier, they're going to marry in next year, which I'm sure they'll, they're definitely going to see a drop in income for that championship. But the USGA can can ride that out for one year, but the RNA, I'm not sure that uh, that they can they, they can take that risk. And the other unspoken part of why I'm, I don't see that an open <laughs> played at Portrush is the the time of year. It's the what's so-called marching season mm, in Northern Ireland, which is a fairly sinister aspect of the religious divide over there where the, the Protestant orange men insist on marching through predominantly Catholic areas of the big cities in Northern Ireland, and it causes all kinds of bother. And it's it's almost like a, it, it's not as bad as it used to be, I'm sure, but it, Northern Ireland is not the place where you, you would really want to be in the middle of July, to be honest. There was a travel advisory, myself and, and BJ, who you know, editor of Golf Australia magazine. We went in 97 to the Open and we, we went through Ireland 
as part of our goal field. And it was actually a travel advisory, don't go to Northern Ireland. In fact, they said you can't go to Northern Ireland in the higher car you've got because it had English plates on it. Yeah, um, it's just so. Yeah, it's it, you don't think of, you don't think about it that often, I, I suppose, anymore. But yes, the the, the troubles in Northern Ireland, uh, they are in the rearview mirror, but not so far that it's uh, it's not possible. Can any of that be overcome, though, Huggy? Because of course you, you touched on it earlier. It would be great to see the, you know, and the governing bodies occasionally make a decision just that is for the good of the game. And open at Royal Portrush would be good for the game, wouldn't it? Is it possible that we could overcome any of this? I mean, they they couldn't have made a bigger effort, could they? Uh, the club and everybody involved with oh, the Irish I mean, Open. The, the I mean, that that's a whole different argument entirely. I mean, the the everyone connected with it last week's event should be commended. I mean, it was it was up. It looked from a distance. I wasn't there, but it looked absolutely fantastic, except for the fact, as I say, the golf course was a bit soft and the the scoring was a bit lower than uh, the, you probably would have expected. Um, but I, I don't really see that there's any way around the the financial aspect of it for the RNA is almost is almost overwhelming. Because you say it would be for the good of the game. Well, the RNA, all the money that the RNA take in from the Open, it actually goes out in in ways that benefit the game all over the world. So that's one of the the best things about the RNA is that they got they do a really really good job of spending the money that they that they bring in from the Open. But the Open is the only thing they've got going for them. Everything else is an expense. Just it's the only income to. they have. So for them to overcome even for one year, um, is a huge stretch. And I, I'd be shocked if it happens. I'd be delighted if it happens, but I just don't see it happening. Might almost border on the irresponsible, so based on what you're saying. <laughs> I need to take it there, uh, it being so important. Jeff, what was your take from afar? I mean, we were all excited to see Royal Portrush uh, hosting a tournament. It had been talked about for so long. And, of course, McElroy and McDowell and Clark all winning majors and the excitement in that part of the world all got connections with the club. Clark placed a, played a hosting role. From outside, I sort of got the impression from reading some of the stories that you posted, actually, that maybe there might be a chance. But I think Huggy's kind of put it in perspective for us there, hasn't he? Well, I think if you read between the lines with certain writers who were a little more skeptical than others, they, they were uh, almost stunned in, in how um, successful the week was, uh, the operations, how good they were. Because that really that kills one of the, uh, the main RNA uh, arguments against um, uh, Poor Rush, which is how does it handle large crowds and, and uh, traffic and infrastructure? It seemed to do that very well. Um, now the media and uh, volunteer base and uh, all the things that go with an open are different than an Irish open. But um, I think people were were genuinely shocked. Those who were not expecting it to be that great, and then when you see they turned a, a pretty sizable operating profit, uh, considering how much money they spent on on uh, trying to make sure the tournament went off well. That's uh, that's pretty impressive, and I, I just I. I mean, the thought of Portrush, uh, even if it, it's not a regular Rota member, but it would be one every 20 years, is just uh, you know, the energy that would kind of bring to the the championship as a fresh face. Um, I, I feel like the the the, the Rota is a little bit stale, and 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 it seems like that or uh, uh, Deal Royal Sink Ports, which I've been writing about. Uh, it just if you feel like it needs. Uh, a new course, something to just kind of add a little bit of of, uh, of excitement. I mean, they're all wonderful courses they go to, but uh, I also think it would be nice to see a fresh face in there. And and, and you know, they're going to continue to hear it from Donald Trump, uh, uh, wanting to bring it to his course. So they'd be wise to uh, to to cut him off at the pass and and uh, introduce 
uh, one of these two places uh, maybe that that has hosted previous opens and and um, by all accounts probably could do it again maybe not as regularly as St Andrews of course but uh, maybe every 15 20 years just just to clarify I'll tell you one good reason Rod before you move on uh, for taking the open to to Royal Port Rush it would be the the number one driving force behind getting America to stop calling the Open the British Open, <laughs> because Robert Rush, of course, is yeah. not in Britain. It would work. You reckon? Huggy, I'll bet you a thousand dollars right hope. now. I mean, I've tried all my life to get Americans to pronounce Edinburgh properly, and no matter how often you tell them, they still say Edinburgh or Edinburgh. Oh, mate, try living in Melbourne. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's enough of that we we shouldn't uh, hey easy we, now that's exactly right we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't get into that um shack of course the uh, the open will have to go to trump's course isn't it the best golf course in the world just to clarify i'm pretty sure i read somewhere it is the best golf course in the world isn't it yeah yeah a very astute observer named donald j trump uh, <laughs> uh declared that and um uh, i'll be able to let you know more uh soon but the reviews i've heard have been have been uh, pretty good uh, pretty positive yeah uh, but uh Despite Trump. Uh, I'll be I'll be going there with an eye for not only the design but also just whether it could host tournaments and the whole development and um, getting there and tourism the whole thing I'm I'm just very curious to see uh, uh, what he's pulled off. Indeed. Huggy is the is the the troublesome bloke in the middle of the golf course who wouldn't sell is he still there and would he set up a little fish and chip stand do you think if the <laughs> Open ever comes to <laughs> to Trump's course. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about my golfing hero. Of course, he's still there. Me too. I think he's fantastic. I just can't remember his name. Is it? Yeah, uh, Michael I mean, Forbes? Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm on his side Me because I, I don't think that no matter how good this golf course is, and by all accounts, it is, it's going to be a wonderful place to play. I don't think that we should be building golf courses anywhere in the world where it means putting people out of their homes when they don't want to go. It's mm. that simple. Yep. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, and look, and look, just, uh, Huggy, I'm sure you're like me. Just to see somebody with not much make life difficult for somebody with so much is quite a delicious concept anyway, isn't it? Whether they're right or wrong, it's just kind of well, fun I, to I'm, watch. Well, I'm just amazed that Donald Trump wants to build a golf course in that part of the world because it, it's hell of a windy and he could play havoc with his hair. So. Well, isn't, it his, isn't it his home, his spiritual home? Wasn't his mother raised ah, there or something? Yes, Check? yes. I mean, he's, exactly. she's, from Sto- she's from uh, the Isle of Lewis, which is away on the other, the west coast ah, of Scotland, away, right. as far away as you can possibly get from Aberdeen, to be honest. Well, there you go. It'll be interesting. <laughs> I'll be very, very interested to read and speak to you about your take on that golf course, Shaq, because I'm like you. I was very skeptical, but everything I've heard from people that you may trust, uh, their opinion has been, as you say, pretty positive. It, uh, it actually seems like they've churned out a pretty good golf course by the sound of it. So, it'd be interesting. Well, to Huggy, hear about that. Huggy will also be there, so we can uh, maybe do a show uh, uh, post uh, open That'd be and uh, talk about it a little bit. No doubt it'll have the world's best internet connection, so we won't have any of these dropouts that we've experienced today. So, if it's uh, if it's to do with Trump, it'll always be the best, gents. Been fabulous to chat to you both today. We should wrap it up there because it, uh, time is getting away from us. Uh, Jeff, enjoy your trip over to uh, to the Scottish and the Open Championship. Did that for you, you, Huggy. I'm sure you'll enjoy it, and we'll look forward to chatting to you from over there. Yes, and uh, and Huggy, always as always to you. Uh, thanks for joining us. Great to get your insights, even if we do say the things that we don't always want to hear, but need to. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right. Not your fault. And that wraps it up for this episode of State of the Game. Thanks for tuning in. Do hope that you've enjoyed it. We'll be back in the not too distant future once everybody's finished their duties with the various opens around the place to chat more about what's going on in State of the Game. State of the Game is a talk and golf production. 
theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.